Hi, I'm Gary Knoll, and this is a continuation of a series of self-empowerment discussions. Today the theme is something really new, and I'm happy to share the idea and see if you find validity in it. If not, let it go. If you do, you can build on it. I'm going to be bringing three different principles into a discussion. I'll give you the outline of each one, but then it's up to you to see how you can expand it from your own perspective. It's like beginning a meal and getting all the ingredients together and how much you need of each ingredient, but it's up to you to actually make that meal. Throughout my life, when I come to what I consider a remarkable moment, like an insight that I, at least I, haven't heard before, I like to build upon it. And over time, these ideas begin to come together and become more cohesive, and then I can actually use it as a tool of helping people. And there are three that are important, but this is the newest one. What if I suggested that we have a silent ego? Now, we're all aware, through Freud and Jung, Adler, all of the classical psychologists, psychoanalysts, that we have egos, yes, but I've defined it differently by several principles, and I'll go through each principle. But I'll give you some examples of this first. We're all familiar with the overt egotist, or the unbridled ego of a person. We see it in people who generally, more often than not, are seeking power or who have power. Now their power may come because they're a celebrity, and hence by being a celebrity you have power of access, you have power of accommodation, people want to accommodate you, they want to give you three thi free things, and also you're always deferred to. I remember once being in uh, California in Los Angeles in Long Beach, that Muscle Beach, a fun place to be, I was doing a lecture out there, as I'm walking down the beach there was this ice cream parlor and I, they had some vegan ice cream so I wanted to get some. And we're all waiting in line, I guess about 15 people, fine, and a celebrity walked right by this woman and walked up and she was suddenly served. And everybody said nothing. So I said, excuse me, there's a line here. And someone said, do you know who she is? I said, I know who she is. And I paid a certain amount of money to go see her films and I can appreciate her in her work. Does she know who any of us are? Does she know how unique we are and our talents and gifts? But we are also coming from a more humble uh, and a more humanistic point of view. We don't go to the front of the line because we feel we're entitled. She's living with a sense of entitlement. And she was non-influenced by this. She continued to stay there as if we didn't matter. She did. That's an egotist. And we see this in politicians. I mean, in fact, humble politicians have a hard time getting elected. In fact, the more overt, the more, the more exhibitionistic and out of control an ego is, the more we pay attention to it. It's like we're drawn to someone who's willing to say things and do things that are outrageous, true or not. And our current president's one of those, and you have other presidents who are more gentle and in their approach, they use humor, they use charm, but behind that is a really strong ego. You know, when a person decides that it's okay to invade a country for political reasons, economic reasons, ideological reasons, not because it's a threat, whether it's Libya with Obama, 
or Bosnia with, with, uh, with Clinton, or Iraq for that matter, with George Bush, junior and senior. And yet each one of them has their own defined ego. But what we do understand now is that when corporations hire people to run that whole entity, that charter, for the benefit of the taxpayers, frequently the person evolves their ego and their sense of persona and their sense of power and entitlement to make the final decisions, to be the final arbiter of all truths, the higher they go in that hierarchical order, till they're the president or CFO or CEO. And therefore, everyone defers up to them. And they then grace those people by giving downward instructions and directives. Now, they are never held to the same accountability as anyone else. And they make the mistakes, and they do all the time, because they're not enlightened. They're no different than anyone else. Just about anybody can run almost any corporation, because almost anybody does. I see nothing unique in any corporate head that you couldn't have a thousand other people do the same job. But they've managed to work the system to draw attention to themselves. They have public relations representatives, they have image consultants, they have focus groups. What do I need to be in order for someone to accept me? But it's not like running for office, they do it quietly, out of public view. They do it with lawyers. They do it with people who say, we're gonna help you become that powerful. In return, we want unfettered access to you, and that's how it works. That's how the mob used to work. That's how the teamsters union under Jimmy Hoffa used to work. You want to have a casino, you want to have a movie studio that stays open, that doesn't have strikes, all your deliveries made on time, then we want a certain percentage. It was a quid pro quo. And it's rampant in life. I'll do for you, you do for me. But the person who's most dynamic, the person that is strongest, the person that has the most, let's say, the the strongest ego frequently is in power. When you look at egotists like Hitler, Mussolini, uh, Pol Pot, Nixon, uh, these are powerful people, but they misuse their power. And so egos can either help a person maintain their power, or they can use that power in a destructive manner. So there's a, there is a scale. You're either at a more positive sense of self, because just dynamic people frequently are your primary leaders. So what if a dynamic person has a really strong ego that is insensitive to anyone else's needs? Now we may construe that person as a sociopath that never feels the consequences or empathy for the actions that have hurt other people. So that's the extreme end. But what if it's back where the person never shows their ego, but their actions are equally as strong? You know, if you're, if you're signing off on a kill list, uh, casually, like here's who we're going to kill today, that's enormous ego that you have the right to take someone's life. And we consider that normal because that comes with the job responsibilities. Of course, who created that job responsibility? The people in that power, the circle power that a person's in. And no one ever has power unilaterally. They have power based upon everyone else that comes in their circle, and then they share the benefits of that power. Do you ever notice that right now, for the last 
six presidencies, the people making up the cabinet, those who are instructive in explaining how the country in each area, whether it's energy or food production, banking um, or education, these people come from that industry. And almost all of them are egotists, raving egotists. And they're all self-interested. So a person in, in education that oversees all, all education, she may be a functional illiterate. In this case, she is, right? And she's completely insensitive to whether or not how something is taught, the curriculum, the quality of the curriculum, the t test books, uh, or whether it's a public school or a charter private school, which they tend to favor because they love the idea of being able to control the economic standards within every industry. They're the first ones to privatize everything. And it's hard to challenge them if you're the average person because you're coming from a more humble position. So there's a gross disparity. We talk about income inequality. You have power in inequality. And power inequality allows everything else. So before you look at income inequality, look at power inequality. Because if we the people really had control over our government and the people are supposed to be servants to the people, then you wouldn't have any wars. You wouldn't have any poverty. You wouldn't have any ghettos. You wouldn't have any, anyone being left out of the benefits that society should be able to provide all of its citizens. But you don't because of that ego. And again, egos can hide the real motives of the people. We've seen that repeatedly. So those people are relatively easy. Then you have the people who are seeking not power, they're seeking attention. And with that, adulation, and they need their fans. Like a Lady Gaga that would wear a, a, a meat dress. I mean, who does that? First, it shows complete lack of understanding of what it is to be a cow. Then she wears a fox, and someone actually wrote, here's how many foxes had to be killed just so you could have that stupid outfit. And yet, no one else criticizes her in that field. You don't hear the record executives for her record companies or the movie producers because she's now a viable commodity, just like Madonna. Mediocre talent, in my opinion. No intellect, in my opinion. A person with superficial values and negative self-obsessed values. A true narcissist. But she makes money. So everybody wants to attach themselves to how they can benefit from her. And she's just, those are just two examples. There are a lot of others. So always be aware that the person that has to exaggerate their presence is grossly insecure. Because a person who's confident and has true self-love would never have to exaggerate it. They simply enjoy themselves. They feel good about themselves. They don't need to be a narcissist. They don't need to be dominant. They don't need to control other people. They don't need to make themselves feel entitled. They don't need to go to the front of the line. They don't need to go into a restaurant and expect everyone else to get up from a table, which is done all the time in Hollywood, all the time. Oh, we're taking this table. We have someone more important to you. What do you think that makes a person feel like who has to get up? I mean, this is medieval behavior, and yet this is the new norm. That's the identity. We identify you as rich or famous, so you're invited, no matter how you made your money. No, not, not completely if you made it in cocaine, like the cartels. No, you wouldn't be invited, but almost any other way, if you, if you laundered the money of the cartels. You're and this is Davos, a group of completely morally bankrupt megamaniacs. I mean, 
God, it's in Switzerland. It's in the winter. And the place doesn't even have heat. That's how hot their egos are. <laughs> Jesus, these people, you look at what, what they actually represent, and they only represent what's of interest to them, nothing else. And yet we believe it. Ooh, mm, to go to Davos, ooh, famous. Very conscientious about the environment. They're going to fly in on a private jet, 5,000 of them. Ooh, and they're going to bring in Kobe beef from Japan. Really cool, right? Well, then how are you an environmentalist? Oh, don't, don't, don't talk about that. We're going to go to Cannes Film Festival. Why? Do you have a film? No, but we want to show people we're there. But look at our yacht. So then Cannes isn't about who wins the festival. That's irrelevant. Nobody cares. Except the person winning the because then it makes it more viable economically. What's important to Khan is who's going to get invited onto the big yachts? And then it's just not in the yacht. Well, I'm just not going to be invited on a 300-foot yacht. There's a 500-foot yacht. But I first got to go to the 400, 450, 500 to get on that big yacht because I can then say, well, I was on other people, Dr. Schmuck and famous person here, Saudi Arabian here. Yeah, that's great. Let's, let's bring Saudi Arabia to head the UN's uh, committee on what? Human rights. Perfect. Okay. Now, which part of the human rights are you dealing with? The ones you behead? The ones you throw off buildings? Uh, how you deal with women? Uh, what you've done in Yemen? Wh which one? Killing Khashoggi? Yeah. Oh, we don't stop, Gary, with facts. So I'm merely saying that you couldn't have any of this unless you had out-of-control egos functioning in a disproportionate, inhumane way, without any sensitivity to what happens as the unintended or intended consequence of their actions. Right? So this is the game people play. It's all about illusion. But then you can take a terrible person, well, let's see, there's no shortage of them who are famous, and things they've done or their corporations done that hurt people, and there's no shortage of those. And people who want to control your lives, what you eat, what you, what you wear, how much debt you have and get more of that, because that makes them richer. They don't want you to make the payment on that credit card. Samuel Jackson does, you know. Fool, you're getting 2% back. Samuel, I'm paying 18%. So if I get 2% back, I'm still giving them 16%. And then if I don't make my payment, all of it, or am I late, they can go up to 26% or 50%. Everyone thrives in the financial community when you go into debt. If you can't pay a traffic ticket that's $40, true story, you can be arrested by a private police force, taken before a private judge, put into a private jail, charged every day money until your family hawks something and gets you out, and it's $2,200. And because they brought back debtors' prisons. But hold on, debtors' prisons were eliminated in the 18. Yes, but they're back, and nobody seems to care. Asset forfeiture is back, and no one seems to care. So you see, nobody could implement any laws or any rules or any, any type of corrupted behavior unless they first felt they had the power to do it, and it's the ego that drives that power. It's the engine behind every action, and they're defiant. And then we're led to believe that we're... We're not that bright. We're, we don't have power. So who's going to listen to us? The only time any politician ever gives a damn about you 
and it's all fake, is when they come to get your election. Then they'll sit there and take a selfie, they'll drink a beer. That's Elizabeth Warren. Hubby, want a beer? And he's, no thanks. Well, I'm going to do a commercial and drink a beer. What, do you want to make us seem like you're a human being? How stupid are we? Well, pretty stupid when you think about it because we don't realize the power of ego. We only have recognized ego when it becomes so extreme that it's embarrassing to everyone, including other egotists. And that's what we are seeing for quite some time. But there's another ego, one that has never been discussed, to my knowledge, and that is what I call the silent ego. Well, what do I mean? When I've counseled tens of thousands of people, I've done over 44 clinical studies. This is one right now. This is a 60-day study on campus, then it's 30 days at home. This is the second part to verify the first part, which was very successful. We were able to change a person's biological age, and we proved it. And the protocols were given to us not by me. I created the nutritional protocols, but the scientific protocols to prove that you could actually alter in a good way the stem cells and the biochemistry of the body, hence slowing down the aging process and doing a lot of repair to the DNA, so you're going to live a longer life. That was done a half a year ago, and now this is the very validation of that. Well, when you're dealing with a lot of people, including people in this room and people at home who are doing it, you see people who are suffering from a lot of conditions throughout their life. And when you talk with them one-on-one, -on -one, when people reveal their stories, and everybody has stories, either happy stories or tragic stories or victim stories, one of the things that becomes apparent is, is why did you allow something to get to that point where you go bankrupt or you ended up in a highly contentious uh, fight or argument or something happened? And no one ever connects the diseases that we have with the choices that we made and what motivated the choices and when we made a bad choice, our response to the bad choices. And so one day, we make the final bad choice and there's a tipping. And that tipping means suddenly we have, no, we have no capacity to maintain balance in our life and we tip in the direction of the worst choice we just made. I'll give you an example. Nobody dies from lung cancer from smoking one cigarette or has, a, let's say, a, a heart attack from one hamburger or sclerosis of the liver or disease of the liver from one drink of alcohol. But when you continue to abide these normal foods and beverages, as sick as they are, there will be a tipping. You just don't know when it is. Will it be the 3,000 french fry or the 5,000 drink or the 10,000 cigarette? We don't know. Each person's different. But one thing that involves every person making a choice is We'd like to think that when a person makes a bad choice, it's because they were unaware of the consequence. Well, that's the common denominator now, because we want to say, don't blame the victim. And I'm saying you don't blame the victim, but you ask the victim, at what point did you become, and this is the second point I want to make, intentionally negligent. What do I mean? When you choose by intent not to know the truth of your actions. This is a concept I came up with about two years ago. I've been building on it since. 
because we are always confused when good people do what seems to be bad things and smart people do what seems to be stupid things. How could you do that? How, that was so stupid. You're so smart. And we're confused by it. Why would you let yourself get to a place where now you're in the hospital bed, you've just had a stroke, the whole family's there, and saying, we hope you survive, but please, the doctor says, you've got to change your diet. Your fork and your knife put you here. And only then we go, oh, really? I didn't know. You mean smoking three packs a day, as my mother did, will cause lung cancer? You're kidding. Drinking every day is bad for you? Mm -hmm. Spending money I don't have is, is not good. Buying stuff I don't need is not good. Having debt I can't pay is not good. Not being able to handle stress in my life is not good. Getting rageful and angry at a word that someone says is not good. Who says? Everybody lives this way. So then, you're in this unusual position. You have to defend what you have now become by force, circumstance, or voluntarily aware that intentional ignorance only leads to intentional negative consequences. There is no good outcome to intentional ignorance. You mean there, there's something wrong driving this car 80 miles an hour down the street, but it, the, the damn thing says it'll go 200 miles an hour. This is a fast car. I should be able to drive it fast. No, you shouldn't. In fact, there's no place unless you go out in the desert someplace that you can drive on any highway as fast as the car is allowed to go. So why did you buy it? What was the purpose? Was your ego a part of that? If I'm, I make my own clothes, I, I design them myself, and I go buy the fabric, and I make it in America, and someone makes a living wage from this. I don't believe in exploiting. Well, okay, I could have gone and bought clothes off a rack. Would I have looked to see where the clothes were made? Were they made in Bangladesh? If they were, that's intentional neglect, because every woman I've spoken to, every single woman, will say, I care about women, and they should, as should every man, as every woman should care about men. We shouldn't have this, men are all evil and they should all die, and especially if they're white, older men, you know, that's ageism, that's racism. I mean, and yet we think that that's the cool thing to say because that's a current hip ideology, you know, hate someone all day, despise them all night, ridicule their free speech, don't allow free speech if anything in that speech will offend you. But your offensive perimeters are very, very thin. You're like rice paper and walking on it. Everything becomes an offense. And therefore, we shouldn't have free speech. We should only have my speech, my group's speech. Whatever we believe has to be right. And if you don't go along with it, you're not respecting what is true. And therefore, and then just fill in the word. You're racist, you're bigoted, whatever it is. And so whole segments of the American population are now labeled as the other and given no respect at all. There's no quality of life that they can enjoy that would not be offensive to someone else. If you live in the South, you're a redneck racist. Gee, you mean all those people that got in their pickup trucks and took their little 
boats out and helped save thousands of lives in the hurricane down the Gulf at Houston and were helping other people and they didn't ask you whether you were white or black, whether you were rich or poor. They say, come on, get in the boat, I'll help you. And then walk through toxic water to pull you to safety. And you know what I didn't see? I didn't see any of the academics there. I didn't see any of the rich people there. I didn't see any billionaires, multimillionaires. I didn't see the children of billionaires, multimillionaires. I didn't see the entitled class. I didn't see any of the bureaucrats and technocrats from Washington. I didn't see any of the politicians. Now they were safely in high rises where the generator was on the roof. Everyone else was in the poor area. And yet those are the very people who will be condemned because of identity politics. Wow. So those are egos on the downside reacting instead of going to neutral and putting that ego on hold and reasoning and look at the true context of what you're about to judge. Because once you judge something, and more often than not, as people would judge something in a negative sense, then it's open, open season. It's hunting season all the time on anyone whose character you want to assassinate because they don't align with you. It never used to be this way, by the way, to the level it is today. But in any case now, so what happens is that when people are just regular citizens, the working class, the poor class, they have egos too. But those egos have abilities to make choices. And the first choice you make is, I want to be informed on something, whatever it is. I have a baby, I want to see how can I keep my baby alive and what does it need and, and what will help that baby. I have a dog, I don't want my dog to die. What can I feed my dog? Are too many vaccines dangerous? If so, which ones? I have to be intentionally aware. So intentional awareness is taking what is in the best interest of something else other than me and then you go to neutral on your ego and you look for the solutions or the answers that are, are evading you or non-existent or wrong in the mainstream, which is extremely biased. So intentional awareness is a conscious effort to find the truth beyond the official story. Now with conscious awareness comes the ability to then be proactive in doing something. Oh, I didn't know that taking more vitamin C could help prevent a cold or flu or lessen the, the days I'll be sick. My reading of the scientific literature, including the peer-reviewed literature, which is easy enough for any person to do, you don't have to be a scientist to do this, it shows me how much vitamin C I should take before the therapeutic range of 3,000 to 5,000 a day can really fortify my body immune system. I didn't know that. I didn't know that taking vitamin D can also help me. I did, uh, and so you go. Intentional awareness. I want to know a truth beyond the official truth. I want to know something beyond what is force-fed to me, which is really nothing more most of the time than propaganda. That's what can happen when you simply go to neutral and you look for the truth outside of your existing belief systems. Well, that's what happens with intentional neglect. You don't know the truth. And how many corporations say, hi, see this sandwich? Oh, it's not that expensive. You can get it for a two for six bucks and everything you like. 
and this is how good we are to you. You like eggs in the morning? We put eggs in there. You like hash browns? We got hash browns. You like french fries? We even stuff some french fries. You like bacon? We put bacon. You like sausage, which is really bacon in a patty. We put sausage and bacon, both coming from a pig. And then we put a little bit of pickle on there or something else. And now we put it between two refined carbohydrate buns, pure sugar. Hey, we care about you and your blood sugar. And now eat it. Now this is far more protein than what your body can digest, and there's no mechanisms for storing protein. So this is really going to create a byproduct of ammonia and urea, which are going to be toxic to your brain, your kidneys, and your liver. So we're doing you a favor. And you're thinking, wow, that looks good. Or we're going to give you 16 scoops of ice cream. Mm-mm-mm. And we're going to make you think, because we're doing little jokes in the commercial, like two morons talking with each other, that, hey, I want to go there too. And we're going to give you all the pancakes. We're actually going to show unlimited pancakes. Wow, I can eat all that sugar and refined carbohydrate, and I'm pre-diabetic or I'm diabetic, and I have heart, high blood pressure and I have heart disease. That's for me. Sign me up. I'm going to be right down there. And I'm going to stuff as many as I can. But of course, your imagination is always greater than your appetite, you see? And so about the sixth pancake with that syrup on it, that's another thing we give you, sugar water. And now you're sitting there starting to shake, and the waitress comes over and says, hey, how you liking everything? Uh, can I have one more? <laughs> Jeez, man. Right? And yet, here's the irony. With intentional neglect, the outcome is always bad. It's disease and death. Over a million a year. And a million a year, more than that, don't just die for no reason. I think today I'm going to die. I have nothing better to do. It's my day. I'll die. No. The accumulative negative effects of unintended consequences have now reached that time when it's your turn. And then we never look and say, you know, did I kill myself with my diet? Did I kill myself with the alcohol? Did I kill myself with the stress? Did I kill myself? No. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, Alzheimer's, they're not the primary cause of death. Your belief system is. Your belief system is the most lethal thing or the most beneficial thing in your life, depending upon what you're able to do with it and how honest you are in determining it. And one of the things that will help us is to get the ego out of the way before you make decisions. Because when the ego makes a decision by reacting, and it's all conditional, it's an epigenetic condition, meaning it's locked and loaded, hundreds of millions of memories, and all with a little switch that goes on, and suddenly you explode, you're angry, you're disappointed. So it's your belief system that kills you. And the people who are in power and control know how to impact your belief system. So they've actually convinced people that, hey, let's get together on Saturday or Sunday. Let's watch college ball on Saturday and professional football on Sunday. And the only difference between college ball and football uh, and on Saturday and Sunday and professional ball is the level of brute force on Sunday. And boy, we get a bunch of people together and we're eating pizzas and we're drinking beer because that's what we're told to do, right? And they've got famous people to tell us, I'm famous. I'm the first Puerto Rican pilot. Or I'm famous. I'm, and you've seen the commercials, right? I'm the first Native American to astronaut. And I drink this beer, and everybody goes, damn man, I got to drink that beer then. It's just watered alcohol, or alcohol in water. That's all it is, right? 
It doesn't taste good, but we think this stuff tastes good. It's like the stupidity of wine. Wine doesn't taste good. Wine tastes like marathon socks smell right after the marathon. <laughs> Rancid. Right? But we'll try to make it some. Mm, oh, let's, oh, mm, the bouquet, the bouquet. It's not a bouquet, you fool. Right? It's some stupid fermented water. I know, but it, there's a thousand different brands, and we have to believe that each one's different. God, you can take the cheapest wine anywhere, put it in the most expensive bottle, 99% of people say, this is the best wine I've ever had. I know I did that. As a, at a New Year's Eve party, all my friends who were the sophisticated ones, right? The, oh, the upper echelon intellects, right? And so I took rot gut gin, the worst vodka, and the worst champagne, and then I went downstairs, and I borrowed, I, I paid the guy, and I said, I want to return him to borrow, because I don't drink, and I took up the best champagne, or most expensive wine, champagne, one bottle of each, and I just had it back there, but I was filling up the glass with this shit, and they were drinking, and they all, oh, guy, Gary, you must have spent a fortune. Oh, you have no idea how much I spent. <laughs> and they're right, they had no idea. <laughs> About three dollars, right? <laughs> and they talked about that, Gary has the best parties. I mean, yeah, he must spend a fortune because everybody was drinking this particular very exclusive. And why is it exclusive? Because you see it about the celebrities buying it at $800 a bottle in the nightclubs and treating all their friends. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's no taste to vodka. So exactly what are they tasting? I don't know. Right? So we pretend. Huh? And the more drunk they get, the more they like it. And just compare this. If you doubt me, do this. Take some gin, bourbon, right, scotch, and put them, see if you can tell the difference. You can. And then take apple juice, orange juice, grape juice, and grapefruit juice, and see if you can taste the difference. You can. These all taste good. They're nice. It feels good going down. These, kind of, no, damn it. Oh, I needed that. What'd you need? Your stomach is now being eroded. Your esophagus is on fire. You just killed a million brain cells, kidney cells, lung cells, heart cells. But somehow you're, you're giving yourself the idea that you've done something unique socially. You're on a social ritual. Imagine if instead of drinking alcohol to prove and smoking a cigarette, everybody was drinking and smoking, drinking and smoking in every movie, right? One time, there was when James Kenny put the grapefruit in the woman's mouth. Remember? But outside that, you never have seen John Wayne or Jimmy Cagney, Edward G. Robinson, none of these guys. Even Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, you never saw him sitting down and, now, I'm eating. I have some tofu here, some sprouts there. I have some miso sauce here. I'm going to take my time and eat. None of this is real. But it's the illusion, and, it's, and people take up on this stuff like it's real, like real food. No, your pizza is not real food. Your hamburger is not real food. It comes from a dead animal that was abused in factory farming, a sentient being that had to watch its own other relatives die. I mean, that's cruel, and yet we eliminate anything that shows us the reality of it. We only see it on our plate. Ah, veal parmesan. 
No, that veal parmesan came from a little calf. So would you eat it if you had to watch a film of how it lived and died? So we live by contradictions. We say one thing and we do just the opposite. Uh, yeah, I care about you know, American clothes, getting back to what I was saying. Well, then look at where it was made. It was made in Bangladesh. The women are making about 14 cents an hour, and they have the shortest work lives of any group in the world, around 32 years of age. They're working as much as 16 hours a day. They go home, then they have to prepare their food because their culture, for the men and the family, they have to do their laundry, they have to make their food for the next day, and then they lay down exhausted to get a few hours rest so they can get back up and go right back there. So 900 million garments can be purchased and some very high end, just like Nike's, very high end, very expensive. Why don't you go into those factories where they're made and see how the workers are. And the next time any of these athletes talk about, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, well, you just got a big check, millions of dollars from Nike. Have you gone there to see how those people are exploited? Can you show me the difference between exploitation here and exploitation there? Isn't all exploitation reprehensible? It is. But not when you're getting the paychecks and you intentionally stay ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't know that my money from Nike came from them exploiting people in another country. You see how the game works? It's just a game. It's not just semantics. It's, it's people suffering so someone else can have an advantage. Your cell phone, the material on your cell phone is mined in Niger and other countries in Africa, in the Congo. Little kids working themselves to death in dangerous conditions to get you that. So we don't ask, what can I do to make the world a better place to live? Instead, we say, I want more of everything. And so we get it. And how does this happen? Because at some point, we have what I call the, the participation and the acquiescence of our silent ego, meaning we are not stupid, but we are intentionally uninformed. But even the intentionally uninformed can still see cause and effect. That's just common sense. You don't need to read a book. You don't need to look it up on Google. You can see cause and effect. If you work in the mines and you see generation after generation getting black lung, you work in the cotton mills, you see brown lung, you work in the chemical factories and you see all forms of uh, diseases, you work in the trailing fields and you see diseases, you work in the uranium mines like Navajos did and you see diseases, this is not a secret. Everybody knows this. You live next to a nuclear power plant, you've got a high incidence of breast cancer. So we don't have to have a preponderance of evidence to convince us that what we're thinking, doing, and accepting is wrong. It is self-evident. Now, when self-evident is so self-evident that we still participate in it, then it shows that we have gone to the very end of the dark side, and our ego, our silent ego, is then denying it or defending it. Why do you think so many people have low self-esteem? Why do you think so many people engage in self-destructive habits? Why do you think people who otherwise, for the, for, for the image of the public or people in their families who know them, they seem fine, but on the inside, they're not. They hide. So which are you? Are you the public face and persona 
and nice person, or are you this person crying on the inside? Now at a certain point, and it's different every person, and I found this when I was heading addiction control over Travaga Hospital, associated with the Institute of Biology, where I was a research fellow, <clears throat> that everybody's got an excuse. And it was amazing what the majority of the excuses I heard for why are you using alcohol or drugs? Why? The number one reason I heard was I want to create pain in my parents. Now, almost all those parents were professionals, lawyers, doctors, engineers, bankers, hedge fund. And then I asked a friend of mine, Dr. Janice Keller Phelps, one of America's leading pediatricians out in Oregon, but she had moved to Washington and she was counseling people in the, in the juvenile system there. And she was, and again, it's a double system. The average kid that steals a car or breaks into a house, they're gonna go to jail. Juvenile jail, depending upon their age, or an adult jail. These kids, because they all came from Washington, D.C.'s elite technocrats, right, and high-end professionals, they got a chance to get therapy and not go to jail. So she counseled Kazan of these people. And so we met and we had conversations. One day we just were going through all of our different cases to see was there some commonality and it, there was. Kids who felt that the parents were giving them stuff were buying their love, but giving them no quality time because they were always so busy making money. They were also busy following their career. So all they would do is hire nannies and, and attendants and uh, tutors. Whatever the kid was shown to need, and they all had therapists, frequently from very young ages, even as young as five. One, one kid said that he'd been on antipsychotic medication for his bipolar condition since six months of age, is what he said his mom told him. And I said, well, there's no such thing as bipolar in a kid. It doesn't exist. Kids laugh and cry. That's not bipolar. But there's over 600,000 children in the United States right now who are toddlers on psychiatric medication. That's how perverted the system of medicine is. But in any case, kids can only look at reality that we show them in our actions, our feelings, whether there's joy and happiness and laughter, or whether there's sadness or anger or emotional violence by one or both parents. Imagine one girl said she was 16 years old and she was an addict and she said, I never felt that I was wanted. And only last year my mother said that she wanted to abort me but because my father was Catholic, he wouldn't allow it. So I was, an, I was unwanted. And somehow in the genes, I always felt that. Well, she's absolutely correct. Epigenetic conditioning can go back impacting our genes for seven generations. So a lot of people are here without the unconditional love and exuberance and for, com, comes when you have an intentional pregnancy. But a lot of pregnancies are unintended. And think about the people who are living in a, with a family and everybody has something else a priority but not you. You're going to feel that. And you're going to ask yourself, why don't I count? Why when we go on vacation are you always on the phone? Why can't we just have a meal together and, and talk? 
You never ask me about what's really going on in my life. It's only when I act out in some way that you're angry about, then suddenly you get on the phone and you call the therapist. You better take care of him, you better talk with her, she's acting out. I mean, there's never been a time in American history where we've had worse parenting. We have the absolutely abysmally worse parenting. But this isn't right now. This is going back to my generation, the baby boomers, who were the last generation to have everything laid out about life and expectations and character, morality, ethics, manners, uh, and we blew it. My generation is responsible for almost everything wrong in the world today. That's, I'm being honest, because we were too smart for our own good, too educated for our own good. We only thought about ourselves and our own advancement, what's in it for me, and we didn't think about the consequences to other people. They were just there as human currencies. Use them, exploit them, commodify them, commercialize them, and then get the next batch in. They're ready for Soylent Green. So, now imagine being a kid, and the kid tells me, kid's honest. Kid says, hey, I'll tell you, I hate my parents. I hate them. Why? Because they don't listen. They've got these dominant egos. And I'm just a kid. I'm not intellectually or financially capable of getting out of the situation. And they're, they're, they give me what I don't ask for, and they never give me what I actually need. So this is how I grew up. And so one day I just decided to rebel. I had everything. And yet we went out and we robbed a car. You know, we broke into a car, drove it, and we got caught. Instead of going to jail, we were allowed to come here, sit and talk about it. But this isn't going to change anything. And all of them agreed. None of these therapy sessions change anything because it's the parents who are not going to change, if it is indeed the parent that is that problem. And frequently it was. Or even the parent that might have loved their children but had no discipline, wanted to be their friends. And you can't be a good parent and be a friend. You have to be a parent. There's responsibilities. There has to be some boundaries. There has to be some appropriate consequences, uh, non-corporate appropriate consequences if a kid acts out. And if you don't stop it, it's going to go to the teachers and the schools. And now our schools are out of control. They're war zones. And kids are out of control. Now, there are exceptions, absolutely. Uh, but they're the minority. They're, they're probably 5 to 10 percent. So <clears throat> this is what one of the things that happen when you're not in control over your own life or not in control of the circumstances in your life. You're just a regular person. You could be a school teacher, you could be you know, managing a business. But when you see what you can't control around you, from the things in your own home, to the body politics, to the environment. Uh, you know, think of how people felt in California when the fires came, and they thought that building a house in a particular area was the right thing, and it was their dream, and now their dream is about to get burned, and there's probably not going to get but five cents on the dollar insurance. Or think about when the water came in and down in the Key West or Homestead or around Miami. And now the devaluation of everything that you put all your life savings into. Because you stayed intentionally ignorant. You believed the broker. Never believe brokers unless you check and verify. Right? And so people put their desires of what they wanted, their ambitions ahead of just practical common sense. Do your homework. Find out the facts. Then decide what you want to do. 
So when people are in circumstances where there's one, they're both silent egos, but one is a dominant ego, not famous, not a celebrity, not invited to Davos or anyplace else, no one's come looking for your opinion, but in that relationship, you have two silent egos, but one is dominant. So one has to win that argument. What do you think the other person's going to do? They may acquiesce, but with, with angst, with stress. And that's one of the things that leads, one, many others, that leads to low self-esteem. Where, how you doing? What do you think? Yeah. I got bills I can't pay. I got kids in school. I can't afford that. And I'm not even sure they're going to have a job in their career because they didn't major in the things they should have. They majored in things that they liked. And I wasn't a strong enough parent to demand if I'm signing on this, if it's my money and my hard work, then at least take something, there's going to be a job. You're up against robotics, you're up against transhumanism, you're up against artificial intelligence, you're up against the really smart kids coming in from India and China and South Korea on visas to take long-time workers with seniority's jobs. They can pay them 40000 and take away a job that costs 150000 That makes the people in the corporation at the top look good, and that's how they get their bonuses. And, and so my kids paid no attention. They went to party, so they party. They party and they have fun. I'm paying for it, and I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you just put down some boundaries and say, no, you'll go to a state school, not a private school. I can't afford it. Well, you know, what am I going to do? That's that surrendering the power you have as if it doesn't exist. But it does. Power exists when you assert yourself in a constructive way towards solutions that are otherwise not going to happen. And you're going to have problems if you don't assert, but you're afraid to assert. Because your ego doesn't allow you to assert. Especially if you're in an environment, a family, a clan, a group, where there's a hierarchical order of who's allowed to control the outcome. Now, you may all have silent egos. But again, an ego has a spectrum. Is it on the good side, where you can be patient, understand someone, and try to work with them and help them, so they build up their self-confidence and self-esteem instead of tearing it down? Or you're at the other end of that, where your own immaturity, your own insecurity becomes what you lead with, and now you dominate everything, even though you have no power in the world, no power outside of that relationship or community, but now you're dominant. So everyone has to acquiesce to you. But what if you're wrong? What if your ego is based upon false emotion and tripped words, like you get angry at someone, or someone dresses a certain way, or someone doesn't have the uh, approach that you want, and now you react to them? So your ego has a tripwire, and you're reacting. You're reacting constantly. There's no reason. There's no pulling back and going new. Say, oh, let's talk about this. What are we talking about right now? And someone says, look, I'd like to spend more time with us together, like we used to. I'd like for us to be able to take some walks and go someplace. Have a night out. Right? Let's go to a movie or let's go to a concert. Let's, let's get a hobby together. Who's got the time for that? And suddenly that overbearing ego comes in and starts, we don't have the time to do that. You know, we've got all these problems and all these bills, and we've got to pay those or we're going to lose our house, and blah, 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 and all the excuses that a person gives where balance is needed in, an, in a situation, and it's an imbalancing emotion, that's the silent ego, that only exacerbates 
all the other problems. Just like the coronavirus. It was shown that 85% of the people who died in Italy, for example, 12,400 people died up to yesterday, that 85% had multiple diseases, what are called uh, compounding morbidity. They had emphysema from smoking, heart disease from drinking and smoking, no exercise, cancers. They were there in hospitals and were dying and would have. In comes the coronavirus and boom, it all tips. All it took was that virus to tip the immune system down so all this, the whole system collapsed. But no credit was given to the diseases. Now, let's just say you're in a normal relationship and, and you take a look and say, we both have cars, but look at the car bills. You know, we can't afford the payments on the cars because we mortgaged everything. Everything was so easy to get and so hard to maintain. Nobody wanted to pay for anything. So we didn't learn that axiom from our grandparents, don't buy what you can't afford, don't have debt. Instead we thought, well, you know, zero down for the first 12 months, that sounds good. But we didn't look at what happens when a month, that year is gone and you gotta start paying interest. And then you miss a payment and you go to compounding interest. But then everybody had to have a car, and everybody had to have a television in their room, everybody had to have all the latest cell phones, everybody, and suddenly you, you just realize that all you are is just a consumer that were not reasonable in what you needed for a happy life. You just thought the next best thing, I gotta have that, I gotta have it. Okay, okay. And so people use words and emotions to try to get us to influence what we're doing, what we're spending time and money on. And then we have to maintain it. I got you a puppy. You wanted a puppy. I know, but I'm so busy with everything else. Well, I'm taking care of your puppy amongst everything else I got to do. I got to do your laundry. I got to clean your room. Don't touch my room. It's my room. Stay out of there. I hate you. Give me money. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? I hate you. I wish you were dead. Slam. Ten minutes later. I got to go to the mall. Where's your credit card? There's no consequence. I know what the hell would happen when I was growing up if I said something like that. I would have been there, but my head would have been in another state. <laughs> I wouldn't sit down for a week, I'll tell you that. But when there's no consequence to bad behavior, and there's no consequence to unbridled egotism from those who are in power, or those who are just sociopaths, or those who are bullies. And look, the dominant egos are the ones that we see. The guy who has to run the gang, or the guy who's got all the tattoos, the, you know, the person that has to convince you by how they're presenting themselves that they're better than you and you should defer to them. And, but what about all the people to defer? Those are all silent egos. When you defer responsibility, your silent ego is on its downside. So the silent ego is collapsed into apathy, abject remorse for not having the courage to stand up. Now think of the people that know that they can commit themselves to a cause and help correct wrongs in the world, but then feel they can't. They feel powerless as individuals because in their own relationships, in their own world, they feel powerless. Even if they're a single parent, they feel powerless. Oh, I can't go march against Monsanto. I can't go out there and demonstrate against, you know, global warming. Then who's going to make your meal? Who's going to make the bed? Who's going to, and then it's who's, who's, who's. Now that's a person that in their mind 
that silent ego has said, I'm worthless. My life is nothing more than a tedious hardship of repetitive action. I'm just going through rituals every single day and nothing is getting better. That's the downside of the silent ego. But that downside also has consequences. Who do you think is most likely to become an alcoholic or a drug addict or a gambler? Or here's a good one. Who's most likely to commit adultery? Someone in a happy marriage or someone who they're not fulfilled? So instead of having honest discussions and making a decision of what either can save the marriage or relinquish the marriage without animosity, we decide we both made a mistake here. Let us stop living this mistake. Let's try to reclaim what life we have so we can either stay single or find someone else. And almost never that's the case. People leave marriages bitter with a need to bring punishment and pain to the other person. And you see it all the time in child custody battles. So, and then saying everything to hurt the other person in the eyes of anyone else so nobody will want to be in that person's life. That's that ego. That's both the dominant ego that will do that, but it's also the silent ego that will do it. Because now, now they're not under that person's control. Now that ego is going to go not only from a passive position, feeling collapsed, but it's going to overreact and go to the most dominant side of violence, vengeance, retribution. So that silent ego I've seen it. I've seen a person that would cut themselves, but only up in the thigh where nobody could see it. I would see people that would overeat in secret and purge. I knew someone who was very bright, and yet they would go out and they would eat massive amounts of food, amounts of food you could never imagine a body could take. One time, this person ate 12 hamburgers and then went into a bathroom. This was outside of a fast food joint. Spent two hours just sitting there eating. Would go in and throw up. Come back, eat, go in and throw up. And this went on all day. And why? Because this person was in a family that was always in conflict, always arguing, always yelling. And this is what the energy coming into her psyche was. And it created not just a limited self of a silent ego, it took it right down to where she had no self-esteem. And yet they were pushing her to graduate from college and be bright. So since she had no relationships, because her parents would never allow their perfect little girl to get into the wrong relationship, so they micro-controlled every aspect of her life, she put her time into her studies and she did well. She was smart. And she went up, but she wouldn't finish her doctorate because part of her feared what would happen if my incompleteness of self is now counseling other people. I'm a fraud then. How can I help someone when I can't help myself? How can I help them understand overcoming their problems when I still got a ton of problems? So I helped her overcome that and she was able to get her doctorate. You ought to read the email she just wrote me after three years last night. Sad. Because you see, until you understand the power of using the ego constructively and to enhance your authentic sense of self and to expunge negative conditioning by being aware of it and how it processes itself through your emotions and your actions, 
it's going to stay. You have to have the courage to start over, as if you didn't have those parents, you weren't living in those circumstances, and you're free to decide who you want to be when you grow up. Now, it takes a lot of courage to start over, because in part you have to acknowledge all of those negative things that have happened and then try to understand how those things happening, who is involved, and how that determined the outcome of your life up to this point. But if you do it the right way, then the silent ego is no longer self-destructive, but self-enhancing. It does not need to glorify itself. It does not need to brag. It needs simply to feel self-confidence because a silent ego is your greatest asset if you want self-confidence, perseverance, to try new things. That is, the, that is the power of opening a door of opportunity. So, the good news about silent egos is all over the world, <clears throat> average people have done remarkable things throughout all the millennia. They didn't have to be the kings, the queens, the head of the village, the head of the tribe, the head of the church, the head of the religious belief. They just had to believe in themselves. And when the environment was right, that, it, that person was nurtured. What do you want? What do you desire? What would you like? Well, I, are you going to say no? In America, there's 80 no's for every yes. And we wonder why people do so many self-destructive things or are so limited by fear. Because about, I'd like, oh, no, dad said no, mom said no, okay, okay, no. But I want it, no. So we allow circumstances to dictate how the silent ego manifests. But when the silent ego finally gets up, acknowledges its own significance, its own truth, you see something for what it is because you've engaged in an intentional awareness. You're not disguising, you're not photoshopping, you're not, you're not, you're not selectively editing the reality, you're seeing it for whatever it is. And you're simply saying in a non-judgmental way, I don't want any more of that, and I'm not going to be motivated by that. So fear and ridicule and any form of negative action towards me in words, they're not going to impact me at all because I know who I am. And then suddenly that silent ego becomes the force that allows you to redeem your life through positive actions and you leave everything else behind, everything. Then it's empowering. Remember, your life is more important and better for you than the circumstances that limited you. The circumstances are yesterday. Leave them there. You're here today. Stay in the present, looking ahead and saying, how can I empower myself, bring my self-confidence up, honestly and realistically, bring my courage up, bring my commitment to truth up in all things, not to compromise it, bring my awareness of the world without condemning or judging just what it is so I don't become emotionally attached to everything and have my heart drawn in this direction and my brain drawn in that direction, my emotions all over the place. No, I'm going to look at something for what it is in all of its dynamics so I can make intelligent choices. That's where you combine intentional awareness instead of intentional neglect, the self-empowerment of the silent ego to guide you as if it's a, a bird's honing device to get you where you need to go. Because that's also a part of our intuition. 
because the silent egos allow you to understand something for what it is, but your conditioning has to alter that to accept it for what it is. There's a difference between understanding it versus accepting it. If I understand that there are things being said to me and about me that are wrong and untrue, I have a right to simply say, you have your opinion, but that's not me. I know who I am. But if you do not have that confidence, then your ego collapses into surrendering your own identity to the political, emotional, religious, economic, or ideological points of another human being. They're judging you. They need you to be a certain way. They need you to dress, talk, act, eat in a certain way. And the ego is collapsed under the power of a more dominant ego, even a dominant in the larger context of our lives, the dominant egos, the sociopaths and the narcissists, versus the dominant ego of someone who is also silent, but that silent has gone to the dark side, because every ego has a light side and a dark side. It's a spectrum. And how mature you are, how spiritual you are, how humanist you are, will determine where that is on a spectrum, and how much courage you have. It's, it's strange to say that we're afraid of true liberation of ourselves. We can appreciate it in any other circumstance but our own. We frequently don't. Because there's just, we have maladapted to everything and everyone. And that's why we are a nation that is suffering from so much self-esteem that is on the lower end. And hence, we don't commit ourselves to our own health. We don't commit ourselves to understanding the consequences of cause and effect. We don't certainly commit ourselves to those who are suffering beyond ourselves. Now, I'll tell you how I knew this. Because I wondered, this doesn't make any sense. Out in Las Vegas, they had an enormous boom <clears throat> around 2005, 6, 7, right? It was a place to go, not just for the entertainment industry, but all the supporting industries around it. Huge neighborhoods, you know, thousands and thousands of new homes and not shanties, nice homes. And, but almost all mortgaged because you're figuring, I'm going in at this level, I'm going to make this amount of money so I can afford this and then it's this and this. Everything was up. And some people lived there for years, some for decades. And then when the crash came, I filmed people who said, I thought my friends, our kids went to school together, we had picnics and barbecues together, we went on trips together. Not a single person came by and said, friend, can I help you? I understand your house is being repossessed. No one in America helped anyone else that I could find. I mean, there are certainly some instances, but as a whole, people would look through, oh, look at that, the, you know, the marshals are there, they've given them two hours to get everything outside, the kids are out in the lawn crying, you know, the people are, the husband and wife are, you know, hands in the air exasperated, they don't know what to do. You know, they got a whole house of furniture and they didn't think it would happen. What do they do with all that furniture? Put it out in the lawn, it'll be thrown away. Why don't we go over and say, hey, we got a garage, we'll, we'll, you know, let us help you. No, didn't happen. Didn't happen. To millions and millions of people, it didn't happen. So were they really friends? Did they care about each other? No, they didn't. It was all pretense. This kind of social dancing around people, all smiling, until the music stops. And then everybody turns and walks away. Well, the music stopped in our economy and jobs were lost and people couldn't afford what they had purchased. And the same thing is happening right now with the coronavirus. Millions of jobs lost. Those, some of those are the jobs are not coming back. 
What does that do? Is anyone imagining what will that do to that family? Are they prepared? And the answer is no. So if your ego, your silent ego, which is viewing the world and has to adapt to the environment you're in, the school your kids are in, the neighbors, everything that you come in contact, it has to adapt to that. It has to say, what is a reasonable balance I can have? Uh, so, well, you better put on a, hi, hi. And suddenly people put on the front that everything's okay and nobody sees behind it. And then your ego collapses into apathy, depression, anxiety, and then you start looking with anger because behind anger, or in front of anger, and almost always with depression is rage and anger. And then when you can't change the circumstances, you turn on yourself. So the danger of a, of a silent ego is that it can be extremely self-destructive because it turns its anger inward instead of out to where you can do something constructive when you make anger a tool for change. So we're not putting our anger out for change, except in some circumstances we're taking it in and hence overeating and obesity and drinking and smoking and, and having affairs. That's another form of anger. I'm angry at my relationship. It no longer provides me with any communication, so I'll go have some sex with someone else as if somehow that's supposed to rekindle my passion because those people still have guilt and shame, but that ego is in a self-destructive mode because that's always self-destructive. It's always going to be there when it's over. Does this make sense to you? Do you understand this? So I want this to be at least uh, something we can think about. It's just my idea. That's all. Um, nothing is set in stone. And however you can use this, add to it, change it, please do. As over the next year, I'll be evolving different concepts of this. I also, I don't have time now, but I also created the notion of life energies. And then I'm tying in life energies to the ego you have because if you're on the downside of your life energy and you're on the downside of your ego, you get a double negative. If you're living the long, wrong life energy and you're in the downside, you get a double negative. If your ego is positive, but your life energy is the wrong one, you're living a different person's life energy. You're adaptive, supportive. You're living as adaptive, supportive, but you should be living as a dynamic supportive. Then you'll maintain, you'll maintain it, but you won't be completely fulfilled. There's all kinds of ramifications. We'll get into that in another discussion. But for now, I just want to introduce you to a principle that I felt has been missing. We've only identified the ego in the most narcissistic, uh, the, the most, let's say, the most aggressive or assertive control of people, their environment, and the consequences. We've never thought what really leads a person to have low self-esteem, forms of self-disempowerment, and lack of confidence, lack of courage, lack of commitment to higher ideals, but putting on the facade that everything's okay, but no one sees what's really happening behind. Just like the woman said when I said, why are you cutting yourself? She says, well, I'm miserable, I'm unhappy, but I, I will cut myself in my anger against myself. Why don't you go out and protest and use that anger constructively? And just imagine if everyone used their anger constructively. But they did. In fact, many, tens of millions of Americans used their anger against the system to vote for Trump. If we were a happy nation, nobody would vote for Trump. Nobody. 
and unionists voted, independents voted because they were so sick of being used and lied to by the so-called People's Party. And that, that was a resentment vote for a lot of people. Now, would they do it again? No. No, he'll probably lose by a landslide. But, and Joe Biden's no better. He's just, I mean, it's just pathetic what our body politic has become. But understand, if we were really an enlightened society, we would have voted for the independents, the populists, Jill Stein, Rock Anderson, Ralph Nader. Those are people I vote for. And people say, well, that's a wasted vote. It's not a wasted vote. It's never a waste to vote for someone based upon the ideals that person represents where there is no one group going to be treated any better than the other. They treat all human beings the best they can and make policies that help everyone, not just the rich or powerful. But that's too much for us to handle in our society. They get 1%, they're lucky. And the people most likely to continue inflicting harm, danger, damage to the world, to us, to our environment. That's, those are the people that we project out because they have power, they have egos. So for the silent ego that's on its downside, it never looks at the consequences of the dynamic ego on its downside. And see the world we live in today as a consequence. Just another way of thinking. All right? Thank you all.